0: I um, read about a woman who had a Bible study group, and she asked women in her Bible study group, what would have happened if three women instead of three men, three wise women instead of three wise men, had come to the manger? And she asked her class. And one of the ladies said, well, I know exactly what the difference would have been. Number one, they would have asked for directions. Number two, they would have been on time. Number three, they would have uh, helped deliver the baby. And they would have cleaned up the stable, made a casserole, and gone out and purchased disposable diapers. Sounds logical to me, right? Well, we have to do with what we've got, and that is men. Three wise men, which may be an oxymoron in (laughs) itself. I don't know. Nevertheless, that's what we have. And uh, we have the story recorded in the second chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. It's an interesting thing, interesting to me, that the Gospel of Luke is looked upon as the uh, generally... Uh, as the universal gospel, reaching out to all people. Uh, Luke himself being a Gentile, that that's the universal message of Christ. And that Matthew's gospel was primarily focused uh, to reach the Jewish audience. But isn't it interesting that in the announcement or in the account of the birth of Jesus, it is Matthew that shows us the universality of the appeal of Jesus. Wise men coming from a foreign land, not Jewish at all. And it is Luke, the universal gospel, that concentrates upon the Jewishness of Jesus and his family and his heritage. So here in Matthew, second chapter of Matthew, and in your Bible there in the book rack in front of you, it's page 956. And I'm going to read a portion of it. You've heard it before. Listen to it and let it be a picture in your mind. C.S. Lewis said, words are not to be read, words are to be seen. You're supposed to create a mental picture. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, and he quotes Micah 5 2. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and he sent them to Bethlehem. And he said, now, once you find him, I want you to come back and tell me about him so I can go worship him as well. Well, we know that that was a ruse, uh, but the wise man at that point uh, did not. You know, one of the perplexing things to me about this story is that when the wise men or the magi, these oriental kings, uh, philosophers, philosopher kings, came, uh, they went to the place where they thought a king would be installed and would be born, and that would be in the palace in Jerusalem. And uh, Herod, he was a horrible, evil man himself, uh, but he called the chief priests and the teachers of the law and asked them, and they told him, and he told them, the, the wise men that is, where they would find uh, the baby Jesus. Now what amazes me is that they, the chief priests, the religionists of the day, the folks that knew the Bible, didn't go to Bethlehem. They knew the way. They knew the prophecy. I could have jogged down there in an hour, at least. It's about five or six miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Why didn't they go? What happens to institutionalized religion that gets so locked into its traditions that when something new and fresh comes, some new light, some new star, some new question, some new person that wants to be a part of the fellowship, suddenly they begin to draw their robes of righteousness about them and they miss it. What happens to Baptist church life that we can get so provincial that we're afraid to anything open and new and expansive that reaches out and makes a difference in the world? Happen. Listen, something else can happen. You can know the Bible and never know Jesus. You can believe the Bible and not know Jesus. You can believe the Bible and not be a Christian. You're not saved by this book, you're not saved by the Bible. It's the Word of God, but it's the written Word of God. We're saved by the living Word of God. And the Word of God, the written Word of God, introduces us, if we will allow ourselves to be introduced, to the person of Jesus Christ. It is Christ that saves us. He is the Word of God, who was from the beginning, the creator of all that is. They missed it. The most logical people missed it. Religion can certainly get in the way of Christianity. Did here. Well, they went. They went down there. They were wise enough. They, they went down there and they, boy, it took, it took wise men to, to be able to see a king in a, being born in a stable. Now, that was totally unexpected. That is just as strange as it could be, as they just sang about. Boy, what a strange way to save the world. Out of a stable. Well, they went down there and they worshiped him and they gave him gifts. Gave him gifts. You know that. You've heard it. You've seen it in pageants gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They gave him gifts. One of the things that I think we need to learn from this is that when the wise men got there, they didn't give presents to each other, it was his birthday. So they gave him the present. If, those, if this had happened in the America, I think, in the 20th or nearly 21st century, I think the wise men would have gotten there and uh, the man who had the gold, the wise man who had the gold, took half of his gold, gave half of it to the frankincense man and half of it to the merman. And the frankincense man gave half of his frankincense to the gold man and the other half uh, to the merman. And they would have all shared you know, with each other And then they would have joined hands around the manger and saying, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God and gone back home. (laughs) Listen, it's his birthday, not yours. Now, I know when our grandchildren, when they have a birthday party, they they get presents, but they also... We always, it sort of happens now, the people who bring the presents, they also get some goodies, don't they? They get some little presents, some little favors that come back. It's okay to give gifts to your loved ones. It's proper. It's wonderful. It's a great way of expressing love. But listen, it's his birthday. It's his birthday. The major gift is to him. The major emphasis is on him, not us. Give to him. They were wise enough to know that. May God help us be equally wise. Well, they went home a different way. The Lord warned them not to go back to Herod because uh, they knew what was going to happen. Well, it did. All hell literally broke loose not long afterwards when Herod ordered the killing of all the little babies two years of age or under. Give Herod credit for this. He knew that a new kind of king had come. He tried to destroy him. And political powers, materialistic worship of power, has been opposed to him ever since. Civil disobedience. They disobeyed the king. Fourth chapter, uh, excuse me, the tenth chapter of the book of Matthew, Peter and John, no, I'm, I'm all, I'll come back there later. It's the fourth uh, chapter of the gospel, of the book of Acts. Peter and John had been preaching and they were arrested and they were brought into the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin didn't know what to do with them. They brought them in and then they'd send them out and bring them back and send them back. And they said, uh, they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin. They kicked them out after they'd questioned them a lot because they were out preaching about Jesus and uh, they conferred together, what are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. And what was the name they were talking about? The name of Jesus. You're not to do any more preaching in the name of Jesus. Then they called them, that is Peter and John, in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. What you need to recognize is that when Jesus came, He did not only come to bring peace to our hearts, He came to bring a sword. He came to be the great divider, not only of time, B.C. into A.D., He came to set up a new kind of kingdom that has been in conflict with all the political, materialistic kingdoms of the world ever since, and will continue to be. Listen to him in the 10th chapter of Matthew. Jesus speaking. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Here's an interesting paradox. The Bible is full of them. He just said, I bring you peace. But here he's saying, I have not come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter in law against her mother in law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves the son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus is saying, You put me first, irrespective of the consequences of other human relationships. I'm either first or I'm last. There's no second place for Jesus. He that is not with me, he said, is against me. I don't mean you stop loving your mother and your father and your parents and your children, but he is saying, you put me first. You put me first. He that is not with me is against me. And he that does not gather gather with me scatters abroad. Now that divides people, that divides cultures, that divides attitudes sometimes. And Jesus is predicting that and we see the first seeds of that right here in his birth. Already a new kind of king has come on the scene. It's a prophetic announcement of the storm that was to continue over 2,000 years and will continue until he comes back. I've quoted before and love it Hendrik Van Loon, the great historian, these words. It was the 753rd year since the founding of Rome. Gaius Julius Caesar Octavius Augustus was seated in his palace on the Palatine Hill in Rome, busily engaged in the affairs of his empire. In a little distant village in the Middle East, Mary, the wife of Joseph the carpenter, was tending her baby boy who had been born in a stable. What a strange world. Before long, before long, the palace and the stable were to engage in mortal combat. And the stable wins. The stable always wins. Arnold Toynbee, the great historian, says the rise and fall of 21 great civilizations exegetes the text, the wages of sin is death. All of the political kingdoms of the world are based upon what? Power and control. Getting, not giving. The kingdom of God is based upon love and service. Giving and not getting. That's why the kingdoms of this world, whether they are political kingdoms in our land or anywhere else, is based upon power. Jesus' kingdom is based upon love. My kingdom, he said, is not of of this world. It's not like this world. It's different. It's a different kind of kingdom. And the Western civilization will someday pass away. America will someday pass away. All the kingdoms of this earth shall someday pass away. The kingdom of God shall be from everlasting to everlasting. Rome is in ruins. Plato's academy is dissolved. The golden age of Greece is in the dust. Aristotle and Socrates and Plato's schools have all been let out. And only the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ still lives and reigns forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. You know, 2,000 years ago when... uh, Jesus began his ministry, he had a forerunner named John the Baptist, kinsman of his. And you know the story, Jesus was then 30 years of age and uh, he went down to be baptized of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was down there just, boy, he was preaching and calling these Pharisees and religious leaders, he was calling them to repentance. He was baptizing people. Jesus walked up and he declared, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John is looked upon as the great foreteller, the forerunner of Jesus. It, it's somewhat different today, isn't it? Uh, the prophetic role of the announcement of the birth of Jesus has moved from John the Baptist to merchants. Um, Now I'm all for merchants, I'm all for them making money and I'm all for people shopping and doing all that stuff that they want to do but I just want to add a word of caution here just something that I just feel compelled to say. Um, I saw some Christmas decorations and advertisements start coming up around Halloween and then by the time you got to Thanksgiving now Thanksgiving is not a big commercial deal I mean, we don't give turkeys to each other. Uh, the, the only people who really are excited about Thanksgiving are people who raise turkeys are cranberry merchants. But what really happens is, man, that's when they start talking about Christmas, 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 and uh, the malls are packed. I was out there Yesterday in one, signing some books at a bookstore. And I tell you, couldn't find a parking place and the place was just crowded. And that's wonderful. And I'm all for merchants making money. I'm all for that. Listen, do not misunderstand me at all. I think that's fine. That's fine. That's good. That's commendable. That's honest. It's okay. But I want our children to know that Jesus was not born in a shopping mall. He was born in a manger. In a simple... Down to earth manger. You know, I don't believe God sent his son into the world to make us wealthy. I don't believe the great God of the ages sent his son into the world to make us comfortable. Both of those may happen as byproduct. I believe he sent his son into the world to save us from our sins. He didn't come here to just save us a few dollars. He came here to save our eternal souls. William Sangster is a renowned Methodist minister in American life. And he told a story that just grabbed me years ago, he was at a big convocation of a sort, like the Southern Baptist Convention. It was a big religious affair of some kind. and uh, Mr. Sanger is a renowned preacher himself, pastor. And he was there, but he was not on the platform. He was in the, seated in the congregation. But on the platform, they had a lot of religious dignitaries, and they had on their robes and their regalia. And uh, Sangster was sitting out there and was listening to the speaker and maybe the speaker was boring or something, and William Sangster said that he began to look at the people on the platform, and he said there was a, a man sitting there, one of the leaders of the church with, with all of the vestments on, said so had a chain around his neck with a big cross on it, and said that uh, that man was sitting there, not listening to the speaker, but had taken the cross that was around his neck on the chain, and with the edge of the cross was... Cleaning his fingernails. I really don't believe he came here to clean our fingernails. Came here to clean our spirits and our souls and our attitudes and our desires. He's not a manicurist, he's a redeemer reaches down into the depths of all the dirt in our subconscious minds and he cleanses that by his forgiving grace I know uh, you've, many of you have been away from home on Christmas I missed uh, three Christmases while I was in the Marine Corps in the, in the 40's one Christmas at Paris Island that was a delightful experience Uh, I guarantee you my drill instructor was not like my mother. Uh, And then the others, I was away out in the Pacific in Japan. I was gone for three Christmases. Some of you were gone a lot more than that. R.C., how long were you away? Seven years in prison camp. How many Christmases were you gone? About two? Um, How many of you have been away from home either in the military or Maybe Korea or Vietnam or the Gulf War, or World War II, or out of out of circumstances beyond your control, you've been forced to be away from your home on Christmas. Did I see your hand. A lot of you. There's just no feeling like that, is there? And I thought back on it. I've reminisced a lot during the last couple of weeks about Christmas and what were the most important. You know, I can only remember two gifts out of my childhood that I was given. I know I was given a lot of gifts although it was during the depression and, but I didn't know we were having a depression but I only remember two but you know what I thought about when I was away those three Christmases I didn't think about gifts presents food even though we were eating some pretty pitiful food. You know what I missed? I missed being hugged and loved. People putting their arm around you, good to see you, Buckner. I don't remember missing a thing. A thing, a thing, a thing. I missed being in an atmosphere of love and acceptance and compassion. Isn't that what it's supposed to be? Can it be? Many of you know I love uh, peanuts. Just great. Charles Schultz is a gift of God to the world, I believe. Um, Schroeder was playing the piano. Playing what? Beethoven, that's right. He was playing the piano sitting there. Down at the end of the piano was Lucy. And Lucy looked at Schroeder and said, If you do not tell me that you love me, I am going to hold my breath until I faint. And Schroeder says, children holding their breath is an interesting phenomenon, and it can be the result of a metabolic disorder that can be corrected by a 40 milligram injection of vitamin B6. <laughs> or it can be overcome by eating more bananas, avocados, and beef liver. Whereupon Lucy looks out at us, the readers and looks at us and says, I asked for love and all I got was beef liver. <laughs> God help us not to get beef liver at Christmas. That's no substitute for love. No substitute at all. I asked Martha if she remembered my telling you this story. And she said, I don't think I've ever heard it. Now, Martha's heard, she's heard more sermons from me than she wants to remember. Thousands and thousands of them. And, and uh, But she may not have been here. I think I told it what, excuse me, once 30 more years ago, but I got to thinking about what, what does Jesus, what does Jesus really want on his birthday? You know, I really don't think he cared very much about whether they got gold and frankincense and myrrh. Or not. those are pretty cold things to me. I know they were important to Mary and Joseph. You know what I think he wanted? I think he wanted to be held and kissed and loved. Don't forget, it's his birthday. What does he want for his birthday? The story is from an Associated Press article out of Wisconsin or Michigan, somewhere in that part of the world. It was over 30 years ago. Associated Press article about a house that caught on fire and a woman in the house uh, began to grab some of her uh, belongings, got a candelabra or two and some silver and one thing or another and was trying to get it out before and the fireman got there and said, lady, you got to get out, you got to get out. So she grabbed some more things, things and things. And she got out of the house and the place was just ablaze and the firemen were pouring water on it. But uh, she was standing there and all of a sudden, as the house was burning, she was holding on to all of that stuff. Suddenly she screamed and you could have heard her a block or more away. My God, my God. And she dropped all that stuff and started running back toward the house and they restrained her. They grabbed her and said, you can't go in there, you'll die. She said, my God, I forgot my baby. Don't forget the baby. Gather up all that stuff. And forget the baby. Well, you've heard it. A bell is no bell till you ring it. And a song is no song till you sing it. And love was not put in your heart to stay. For love is not love till you what? Give it away. You know what he wants from you today? He wants you to to give yourself to him. That's what this invitation is. For you to come and say, I love him. You may want to join some other church in this city. We'll help you do that. That's not the important thing. The important thing is that you say to Jesus, I love you. That's what he wants from you on his birthday. Maybe you'd rededicate your life, and by rededicating your life, be saying that. Don't forget the baby, don't forget love.